Welcome to Cover Stories with Chess Life, the U.S. Chess Federation's podcast that goes behind the scenes and more in-depth about each month's Chess Life magazine cover story. Make sure to listen to our family of U.S. Chess podcasts, which includes One Move at a Time on the second Tuesday of each month, where Dan Lucas talks to people who are advancing our mission statement, Ladies' Night, which drops on the third Tuesday of each month, hosted by our women's program director, Jennifer Shahadi, and on the fourth Tuesday of each month, Chess Underground, hosted by our assistant director of national events, Pete Cargianis, in which he examines the game's eccentricities, peculiarities, and theoretical novelties. All can be found at the podcast link on Chess Life Online at uschess.org, or you can subscribe via iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Today's guest on Cover Stories with Chess Life is someone you might not have heard of yet, but I'm guessing that you will, and very soon. FIDE Master Sandeep Setharaman is the author of our March cover story on the K-12 grade championships held last December in National Harbor, Maryland. Sandeep scored six and a half out of seven to claim clear first place in the 11th grade championship, and afterwards he reached out to me to see if he might write something for Chess Life or Chess Life Kids. Perfect timing. I was looking for someone to write about the K-12, and here we are. At age 15, Seth Rahman is rated 2465 USCF, making him the 24th rated player under the age of 21, the second rated 15-year-old, and the first rated top dog in Arizona. He's earned three international master norms, meaning that once he pushes his FIDE rating over 2400, Uh, By my count, he's 19 points away. He'll become an international master. But of course, Sandeep is more than just a chess player, a junior at Basis Chandler in Chandler, Arizona. He's an excellent student. And his nonprofit, The Chess Effect, has raised money for foster care children and works to teach uh, chess to underprivileged youth. What does the future hold for Sandeep Setharaman? Let's find out. Hello, Sandeep, and welcome to Cover Stories for Chess Life. Hello, John. Thank you for having me. Uh, I appreciate you taking the time to talk. I know you're busy with school. In fact, it is um, it's seven o'clock. I guess uh, your time, Mountain Time. Uh, were you at school just beforehand? Were you? Did you have what else did you have going on that you, we had to wait until uh, this hour to to record our talk? Oh, so after school, I went to soccer practice, and then I just got back home at around six. Uh, all right. So now we're gonna have to ask some questions that are not on my list. Uh, what position do you play? Goalie. You're a goalie. All right. Uh, yeah. Who is your favorite? Uh, I'm sorry, football team. Since we have to be, you know, serious fans. Uh, who's your favorite football team? Real Madrid. Real Madrid. Not uh, not a surprising answer. A lot of people like Real Madrid. Um, any any teams in the English pyramid that you that you that you like? I like Chelsea. Chelsea having a tough season. Okay. Um, I'm a Cardiff fan. You've probably never even heard of Cardiff. They were in the Premier League like once, like four years ago, and now they're almost getting relegated to League One. So uh, uh, you've chosen much better teams than I. I tend to go for. Um, all right. So you were at soccer, and uh, you got home, and and here we are. Um, let, let's let's begin by talking about the tournament itself, the K12 Grade Championships. Um, you had a really good tournament. I mean, you know, six and a half out of seven, clear first place. Talk us through the event for you. Like, what, what's it like getting there from Arizona? What, what, what's your, your sort of general 
take on the event and, and what, what sticks out from you looking back now some three months? Well, so it was the largest nationals by almost 600 people with a total of 2,400 people participating. So that in itself is a huge event. And of course, the travel time from Arizona is almost like four hours. But I think it's definitely worth it for me to travel there and play. Because Scholastic events, you get a much different experience than any other events, like norm events or open tournaments. They're all well and good. And you play much stronger opposition in those, of course. But there's Scholastic events, there's just that different feel. You can become a national champion, a world champion, even a state champion. And they're just fun to play in. So how many how many of these sort of you know the, like the big flagship events like the the high school or the middle school how many of these have you played in at this point? Well, so actually, I played a couple of times in the elementary. Back then, I was never near the top. I was always like around a thousand. But this is the first tournament like nationals that I've played over the board high school championship where I was actually one of the top seeds. What like looking back and 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 I, I I'd like to sort of get more from from you on on the different vibe, because it sounds like there's something like a different feeling at a scholastic tournament than, than you find at, let's say like one of the Charlotte norm events or, or, you know, like one of the thousand GM events that, 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 that are, they're so prevalent right now. What, what, what makes the scholastic experience so special? So first of all, everyone's your age, everyone in the section. So you have a lot in common. You talk usually before the games, it's a much more, casual like relaxed atmosphere than a norm tournament where usually you're like prepping for a couple of weeks even months before the event like openings and stuff but this event also you have to there's a added element of playing lower rated much lower rated people who are usually underrated in the first couple of rounds and being sure not to give up any points if you want to compete for the titles that is uh th- there are a lot of landmines especially in in this this sort of weird time, not quite after COVID, but when we're, you know, when we're, we're coming back to, to whatever normal life is going to be, you, you've got all these players who, who played a lot online and then maybe don't get to play, don't get to play over the board. And then they come to nationals and they just start destroying people. Um, how, how did you avoid the landmines? Like what's your strategy for dealing with, with players like that? Also, I just try to treat it like any other game play normally, you know, Try not to underestimate my opponent in any way. Just treat them like I'm playing a GM or I am twenty four hundred. Have you noticed um, that that young players are are different or stronger after that 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 sort of that layoff, or or is it just more of the same for you? Do do, do you feel like there was a big shift because of COVID? Yeah, I think a lot of players, younger players, got much stronger because they spent a lot of time at home practicing chess online, reading books, and that like increases your playing strength by a lot. I think. Does anything sort of funny or, or kind of memorable that, that might not be like a, an accomplishment, but does any, any sort of funny things happen that, that you, can, you can talk about at this tournament? At the tournament, the first couple of rounds, I, we came a bit, the flight got delayed a bit and we got there just before the tournament started. Oh, okay. But like the same day of and well, uh, we came to the first round. We were all talking a bit on the top boards. Other than that, it was just a pretty normal event. Nothing too out of the ordinary. Now, for for the Chess Life article, you you focused mostly on the high school players and uh, um, talked about uh, the 12th grade, the 11th grade, the 10th and the 9th grade. Um, 
We also asked you to annotate some games by younger players for the April issue of Chess Life Kids, which you very kindly did. Um, but I was a little surprised that there was one player whose games you didn't annotate. Can, can you can you tell us who that might be and why you skipped over that person's games? That might be my brother I'm missing. It is your brother. Tell us about your brother. Well, he's in fifth grade, 11 years old, and I think he's 2150-ish right now, 2130. Not too shabby. Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't want to annotate his games for this event because, you know, we have a rivalry going. I can't be giving him the spotlight like that. Now, that's not what you told me in email. What you told me in email, and I'm, I'm... uh, Roshana, I, I, this is probably not news to you that your brother may have said this. If you're listening, uh, you said he, you said, and I, I believe the quote, and I'm paraphrasing, was something like, "He doesn't listen to me anyway, so why should I give him advice on his games in print?" Yes, that's that's harsh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but so the, you're saying there's a rivalry, but I mean, have you? Uh, it's more of a joke, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, but I mean, yeah. well, but I mean, siblings always, always have a little rivalry. I mean, I, you know, I got two brothers. I, I know kind of what it's like. Um, but, but do you, did you help him get started in chess? Do you, does he, does he sort of like ever open your chess base and like steal your opening notes? I mean, how, how does that work? Well, I mean, he started, of course, probably like I was a contributing factor to him playing chess, I'm assuming. But I mean, he's pretty independent. He doesn't really, bother me too much ask me for help or anything and we play completely different openings so like i play d4 he plays d4 oh okay yeah well he he still might have copied them i'd still put a put a password on your computer if i were you yeah Uh, (laughs) let's talk about your your sort of history in the game um how did you get started how did you get started playing chess well so i started relatively late for like top like people who are aspiring to become grandmasters, international masters. I started around seven and that I played my first tournaments in the chess emporium circuit. It's a local club in Arizona that holds tournaments for scholastic players in the elementary schools. And when I started performing well in those, like getting prizes every time I learned about USCF and I started playing in a lot of events here. There's, uh, there used to be a couple of chess clubs. One of them still very going very strong, Unity Chess Club. It's like probably the biggest in Arizona chess club. And they hold weekly events and monthly like flagship events in Arizona. And there was also the Rising Phoenix, which I played tournaments in. So as I started increasing my rating, I started traveling nationally and eventually internationally. And those events I kept playing. And now um, I just got my international master title it'll get approved in march congratulations let's see you're breaking news here i didn't even know that doing my research um so looking back like what what was that first what was the first big success that sort of gave you and your family the hint that that maybe there was real talent here i think that it was the best of phoenix um it's a tournament held by chess emporium basically every top player from the state comes and plays in elementary and I was in second grade or first grade, I think, probably second. And I was not nowhere near the top. I was maybe 700 at that time. But I started off 5-0, and beating like 1400s, 1500s. And eventually I ended up in third or fourth, I think. But after that is when we started playing USCF and my chess career really like started off. 
It's seven years old and you already, and that's, that's when the career started. That's wild. Um, I hope everyone listening is uh, feeling very bad for themselves because they didn't do this themselves, start at seven and, and, and really get moving. Um, I'm always interested because, you know, I, I mean, I started playing chess before that. Um, you know, I mean, you know, I, like, I remember when the internet chess club just started. I mean, this is a long, long time ago. And I, I imagine that chess training now is, is very different than it was for me. So can you talk a little bit about how, how you got better and, and who, who you worked with along the way to help you get to where you are? Well, so my first um, private coach was Fidel Master Pedro Matufi, one of the top coaches is coaches in Arizona. And I stayed with him from basically unrated to 1800 USCF. And that's where I learned basically all the principles of the game, my foundations, everything that I know stems from what he taught me. And after that, at around 1800, I moved to international master coach Joel Banawa. He was also located in Arizona. I think he was in the Philippines now. But he, well, I stayed with him until from 1800 to almost 2150. And that's when I started. I switched from E4 to D4. And I, my opening repertoire extended a bit. And then at 2150, I switched to my current coach, Grandmaster Mezkin Amano. And he's produced world champions like in age categories before. So he's a pretty renowned coach. And I'm still with him today. So I got my national master, PJ master, and I am done as well. Um, what prompted you to switch from E4 to D4? I mean, that's, that, you know, it's it's a little early to have a midlife crisis and have to switch to the closed opening. So so why were you doing this at like, what, like 12 or 11 or? Well, I'm actually not so sure. Like, I, it's not like I was having terrible results or anything with E4, but I guess I just wanted to try something new. And do you still like play E4 from time to time or have you, I mean, we're not trying to give away all your preparation here, but uh, it, does, do you trot it out every now and again just for fun or? Yeah, I play it in blitz and stuff a lot, but not really over the board. I don't think. So l- let's talk about how someone at your level tries to improve. What are the tools you're using? What, and you mentioned books before, so I'm wondering, are books part of the mix? Is it all tactics, trainers, and chessable? I mean, w- w- what does like a training session look like for you? Well, the tactics that I do, like I don't really do online tactics. I have a book, um, Asparian's Endgame Studies, Domination in 2545 Endgame Studies. I have that right back there. That's Fantastic book. Yeah, it's amazing. That's where I do all my tactics and improve my calculation from basically endgame studies. Really? Okay. So do you yeah. do you do you look at studies outside of that? I mean, do you have like Vander Heiden's database and or, or do you get do you get any of the study magazines or anything like that? I have some databases that Coach Meskin sent me for studies as well. And also I do calculation outside of that, just not studies. Like I I was recently reading RB Ramesh's book improve your chess calculation and I read books. I'd like to read books. Um, yeah. Ramesh's book is, is uh, very well regarded. It's uh, from what I understand, it is eminently suitable for someone at your strength. Um, some, some easier puzzles thrown in, but I'm told even the easy ones are, uh, they're not so easy. <laughs> yeah. Um, what, what other books have you read? What other books made a difference in, in, in your, in your learning of the game? 
the first chess book I ever read was actually Chess Words of Wisdom. And it doesn't have any positions or anything, but like reading that book probably got me extremely interested in chess. So that might be the most influential book I've read. Other books that I liked were 52 Techniques in Positional Play that I loved reading. Is that uh, Tarakoff? Or, uh, yeah. Or, uh, um, I, I think it was, I forget. Bronznik and, and somebody else. It's, it's a new in chess. Yeah. Bronznik and Terenstein. Yeah. I, I know the, but uh, that's, um, I just saw someone on Twitter talking about that, about how it, it was like all the, all the, all the Russian kids have read this book and, and they, they find it very useful. So it's, it's interesting to hear that that landed on your shelf. Um, any, anything else sort of stick out? Well, not Purdue. Those are the books that I love the most. Okay. Um, now, when when you're working in your chess, are you working in chess base or are you using mostly Lee chess to, to like Lee chess studies? What, what's what? No, I use chess base. Chess base definitely. Okay. I don't really use online like Lee chess that okay. much, other than to play. Uh, I was going to ask you how much how much do you play? I mean, is, is playing online part of your training as well, or is it just for fun? Oh, um, I do play online for training, like Blitz, because I think with like everything, the sudden death being removed in a lot of tournaments, that move 40, like playing Blitz is pretty important to keep up, keep in shape. And I do that as training. Like the only thing that I wouldn't count as training is bullet, I guess. Yeah, it's, it's, it's that, that, that is hard to sort of think about in terms of actually having good thought processes. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's fun and. You know, I mean, Naroditsky makes it look easy, but for the rest of us, it's, yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So, so it sounds like you've had a pretty, like pretty reasonable chess education. And it sounds like something some of our listeners probably can empathize with. Um, most of our listeners though, have not had three IM norms. So can, can you tell us a little bit about your norms and, and how you got them and, and, and what crossing 2400 means to you? So my first norm, I got, uh, 2289 or something like I was still on K40. So after I got the normal, I almost touched 2400, like barely missed out on it. So that like, like the circumstances were good for that norm, but it was at Charlotte at one of their, I am norm round robin events. And I started off with a draw against international master Oladapu Adu. And after that, I won four straight and I just needed one more win, but like, in norm events, like if you start off well and you start thinking about the norm, then it becomes much harder to like focus on the games. And I tried winning the next three, but I couldn't. And I just made three draws. And then the final round, I must win is black against uh, one of the top seeds in the event, Gabriela Antova. She was around 23-37. So I played the Vienna, which I'd never played before because I didn't want to she played the exchange slav and I didn't really want to try to play that for a win in black. So I played that and I got a pretty bad position out of the opening, but I managed to trick her and win by a tactic. So that's how I got my first norm. And my second norm came at another round robin in New York. And this one was the GM section. So I only needed five and a half out of nine to get the norm. Was this, uh, was this at the Marshall or, or where was it? Yeah, it was the Marshall. It was the Bobby Fisher commemoration tournament. Okay. So, first round, I I won the first round against Joseph Zelson with, again, the Vienna. 
Because after that game, I started playing the Vienna a lot. Why not? It sounds, good luck charm, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I lost a game to actually Danila Polyanikov. He had a pretty rough event, but even even though he was having a rough event, he still played really well in that game, and that shows his perseverance. And after that, I was back to 50%, and I needed plus two, and I still hadn't played the top two seeds. Uh, Gergeli Antal, or sorry, yeah, Gergeli Kantor and Jurabek Kamrakulov. So I was able to win a couple more games, two more. And then I went into the final two rounds needing a draw as black against Kamrakulov and a draw as white against Kantor. So I prepped the opening against Kamrakulov and I got a pretty easy draw as black. And against Kantor, I was able to make a draw as well. So uh, that's how I let me stop you here and ask you two questions about that. So first, um, how like how much do you feel like players like that, like the the ones who are you know like the IMs in the IM section? How much do you feel like they they sort of take it upon themselves to stop guys like you from getting norms? Like, do do you feel like they're like they're kind of like there to really give you the test, or or is it not that sort of vibe to the situation? I don't know if they're so much concerned with like stopping other people from getting norms. I'm sure they just want to play well for themselves. And, you know, because even like IMs who play in the IM section, a lot of times they're still trying to increase their rating. Mm. Sometimes they're a 24, 50 plus. And in one of the IM norm sections that I played, uh, one of the players was Ilya Nishnik. So, <laughs> yeah, he's, yeah, yeah, that, wow. Yeah. Um, what what a career Nizhnik. I mean, is 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 carving out for himself, and and one of the one of the best players on the American circuit. Uh, how did you do against him? I lost. Yeah, uh, most yeah. people do. Yeah. Um, I also let me ask you also while I've, while we're talking about it, um, how do you how do you prepare your openings? Like, do you, are is your memory good? Do you do you just have to sort of do you really have to sort of work to 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 get the moves memorized, or is it something that comes fairly easy to you? Uh, my, I think my memory is like fairly good, even for chess, especially like, even for chess at this level. Like if I just play through the moves once or twice, I usually memorize them. I'm usually more concerned with like learning the openings by looking at games played in that opening instead of just memorizing. Talk, talk a little more about that because I think that's something that's important for, for people to hear. Um, so a lot, I learned a lot of my openings from courses that I bought, and usually those courses come with top Grandmaster games that were played in that opening. So, for example, the Vienna, I studied Nepo's games because he's used it a lot, and he, he even beat Magnus a couple of times with it. And now a lot of top players are starting to use the Vienna, like Nakamura and Perugia. So I just look at their games, try to emulate them, mm. sometimes successfully, usually not. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I, I think that's a very common feeling for, for chess players. <laughs> um, all right, so so two norms, and then the third one, the most recent one, was where? That one was at one of the the thousand GM, um, what's it called, the big tournament, like the Swiss Super Swiss. Ah, okay, so thousand yeah. GMs is is pretty new, and uh, you can you can visit their website. Just Google thousand GM, um, but they're running a whole lot of norm events. How did you get hooked up with them? How did you end up playing in one of their tournaments? Well, so. I know one of the co-founders, I work with him, um, Rushan Mahajan. He's a very nice guy, you know. He told me about the event, and it's 
right next to Phoenix, probably like one of the closest norm like tournaments of this caliber I can go to. So of course I wanted to play, and I showed up to play. And now, so after that third norm, uh, when did you make that final push over twenty four hundred? What what tournament was this that you made this happen? Oh, it was actually in that same tournament I got my final. Ah, okay. So, so the FIDE, the live rating has not appeared yet on the FIDE website. So No, actually it it did, and then I dropped back down. Oh, uh, see, I should have done my research <laughs> yeah. earlier. Uh, you're making me look bad here, Sandy. <laughs> um, well, no, again, actually, the 2400 plus never appeared on FIDE. I got it in the middle of the <sighs> tournament. Like at the end of the tournament, I was 2413, but I performed very badly at like the US match, so I dropped below. Before the next rating list. Okay. Well, now, now I feel better about me. So I appreciate you letting me off the hook. Um, what, what does it mean to you to be an IM? Like, is it because most of us are never going to feel that? Um, does it feel kind of like just another step, or or does it feel like a real accomplishment? I think this one feels pretty real, like the accomplishment. I mean, only I think four thousand or so people have got it in history. So to be part of that group, and it's in Arizona, it's even less. And I think I got the youngest I am in Arizona history, just beating out Tal Shaheen, who's a very strong player. Yes, I, I remember watching his <laughs> games when, uh, yeah, years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a big honor. And, well, the next step is GM, but I am is pretty good in itself. So how, what, what changes do you think you'll have to make, if, if any, to get to GM, are, are there things that you have to do better or are there things you have to, 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 to really work on? Well, I probably have to work on quite a lot to become a GM. Like, probably mainly my end games I should work mm. on. And also, I think there's a certain thing about playing GMs, like beating them, which is for some reason, like, I haven't been to, able to do as much as other people at my rating level. Like, I think I've only had, like, less than five GM wins. So, that's, I need to increase that by a lot to get GM on. Okay. Eventually, GM panel. Well, uh, we we will be watching, and hopefully, uh, when you make these norms, you'll you'll write something for us for Chess Life or Chess Life Online. Um, let's talk a little bit, because I'm, I'm guessing chess is not just your life. I mean, you play soccer, you follow Chelsea uh, and, and Real Madrid, um, but, but. What, what else do you do? Are you involved in other clubs? I mean, do you play other sports? I also play basketball. Okay. Uh, I've been on the school basketball team. And I'm also, I like to code in Python. Uh, I, yeah. I, I just have been learning a little bit of Python just to run some chess scripts. Like, uh, oh. And uh, it, it is very tricky. So even the little bit of stuff I'm, I'm learning is, um, yeah. No, it's hard, but uh, it's nice to know that that you are are, are taking this upon yourself. Is, is there a reason you want to learn to code? Do you want to do you want to get into computer science or? Oh well, yeah, I'm actually yeah. Computer science is something I like, and just coding in general, I think, is a pretty useful skill mm. for a lot of things like chess scripts. It's useful. Um, it's useful for creating websites, of course, and it's like it's even useful for like doing problems. Like if you can code some of your, like some, if you have a, like to do experiments and research, coding is really 
instrumental. How talk a little bit about that because that's something probably I, I suspect a lot of our non or less computer literate listeners will will understand. Like, what kind of experiments can you can you code? Well, you can code a lot of experiments that you doesn't require you to like change things during the experiment. Like, I don't know how to explain this, but it's like you can code something that can become much more efficient if a computer can do it instead of you. Okay, so you're 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 trying to save yourself some time. That makes some sense. Yeah. Um, tell us about the chess effect. So the chess effect is my way of giving back to the community, the chess community, especially in Arizona. And I started it in 2020 as a as a nonprofit organization that held charity tournaments and gave free lessons to underprivileged players throughout Arizona and the for me I've held two fundraiser events so far in Arizona both of them have been online because it was during the COVID pandemic but this year I'm trying to hold one in person excellent and hopefully have it USCF rated and everything and probably the way that I've been more impactful has been through my free lessons that I've given to Usually younger players, like upcoming players who aren't really able to afford a private coach. So I try to give lessons for free. I've probably given over hundreds of lessons up to date. And uh, they've, they've just been really fun. Because I think teaching also helps you improve playing yourself. Some of these kids, like they see stuff sometimes quicker than I do. See, now that's a scary thought. I mean, you know, 15 yeah. years old, international master, and and, and the kids are faster than you that wow um but when you're coaching i'm curious like so what's your coaching like what is your thought about how to be a good coach what 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 do you think makes for for good chess teaching well i don't have like a ton of experience in this like i recently started a couple of years ago coaching but i think first of all like i'm sure most coaches do this but like you have to be involved during the lessons like you can't just like put up a position and to do something else yeah. I'm sure like almost no one does that but it might happen I don't know but uh, other than that like you should really want your students to do well you know like be in tune with their results whatever tournaments they're playing everything and I think also a lot of it is experience because you if you have had a lot of students you know what works and what doesn't mm. And I'm trying to learn that based on my own experience as a player and now as a coach. Makes a lot of sense. Um, what does the future look like for you? Are, are you, I mean, you know, it's, it's very hard to make a living at chess. You know, I mean, without coaching and writing and hustling. Um, are, you, are you wanting to give that a go? Are you, are you just, are you going to, try to, you know, go to college and have a career? Are, are you thinking of a chess college? Like, w- w- when you look forward, what what does it look like to you? Well, chess, I don't think, I'm not sure if I'm good enough to, like, make a career out of playing. Like, to do that, you have to be world top 50 at least, and I'm not sure if I see that happening anytime soon. So I'm planning on going to an academically focused college, not really a chess college for now. Okay. Um, and, and do you have any ideas about what sorts of career paths you might want to investigate? 
Well, I love STEM and I love economics. So one of those two paths, definitely. Okay. Well, you heard it here first. He's going to maybe keep playing chess. I believe that's what I saw in one of the news stories I saw about you. But, but, uh, well, I'll definitely keep playing chess. There's no way I'm quitting, but like, like just not as a career. Okay. Well, good. Because, yeah. yeah, it sounds like, uh, you have things to contribute that maybe we don't want to lose. Um, all right. Now, I don't know if you've listened to the podcast before, but um, before I let anybody go, I, I have to ask them questions. Um, and this question, this questionnaire uh, is based on uh, people you've probably never heard of because you're young, but I'll, I'll just say it anyway. Um, this was made famous by James Lipton on a TV show called Inside the Actors Studio. And he would ask these questions to all these famous actors and actresses who came through. And originally, it was based on questions that were posed to, uh, that was self-posed by Marcel Proust. So there, there's a great tradition here, Sandy, and you are now the latest link in this long chain of, of answerees. Is that a word? Answerees? Respondents? That's a better word. Yeah. So international master, Sandeep Sethiraman. Ten questions. Okay. What is your favorite word? Eloquent. Illiquid. No, eloquent. Eloquent. Okay, I thought I thought it was. Yeah. I was thinking like in economic terms, like 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 ill illiquid or unliquid uh, um, funds or something like that. But eloquent. Oh, okay. That is a, that. That's a good word. You. That's the. You're the first person to say that. Um, what is your least favorite word? Pride. Pride? Dry, dry. Dry. Oh. Yeah. Now, this is fascinating because the one that you'll hear people say sometimes is, is the opposite, which would be moist. People really moist. hate that word, but but dry. Why do you not like dry? I don't know. The word just sounds dry. Like, I guess, like, it's just, like, boring to say, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and you are you are an expert in in dryness being in Arizona, so um, yeah. we will defer to your wisdom here. What what is your dream of happiness? Uh, what do you mean, like my dream of what I want to do to be happy? However, you want to answer it. Okay. Um, this is tough. Probably. I don't know. Okay. I'd like to say I am happy now, but I'm a bit confused. No, hey, that that works. I mean, life is good. Yeah. Yeah. If, 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 if this is, if this is, you're living your best life, who can argue with that? Right. Um, Towards what faults or flaws do you feel most indulgent? I think sometimes overconfidence. Why? I don't know how to say, but it's like kind of overconfidence. Like I never turned on a challenge. Mm. So like I tend to fight off more than I can choose sometimes. Okay. Whose face would you like to see on a new banknote? Well, my own first, but I haven't done anything worth putting on there yet. So 
Okay. So Other than that, yeah. In the in the future, you, but but right now. Right now. Well, my favorite mathematician is Terence Tao, so maybe him. Okay. Deep cut here. All right. <laughs> um, what chess opening do you love? The Vienna. The Vienna. What yeah. opening do you hate? Uh, the Exchange Slav. What profession would you like to attempt? Data scientist. What profession would you not like to do? Artist. Just too much pressure? I mean, musician, sorry. Okay. I tried playing the trombone. I was insanely bad at it. Yeah. It, music is hard. My, my daughter is learning now, and, and it's, it's sometimes weird noises come out of that piano. Um, final question. Sandeep Sethraman. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? You've lived a good life. Sounds good to me. Zandi, if, if people want to find you on, so are you on social media? Do you have like Twitter and Facebook and all that? Um, I, I'm not really. No. Okay. So we're not going to find you on social media, but yeah. probably wise to keep a low profile these days. I think that that makes a lot of sense. Um, but if somebody wanted to reach, wanted to reach out and, and say, Hey, can I take lessons or, Hey, I thought your game was really cool. Or hey, tell me about um, tell me about that mathematician who you mentioned who uh, who I know nothing about. Uh, <laughs> is is there a way they can reach you, or or do you prefer to sort of stay in the shadows? Well, so all of my lessons, the teach co- coaching that I do through Chess Effect is at is at my email at the Chess Effect Services at gmail.com. Ah, okay. So, and yeah, the, what's so, the website for the Chess Effect? Uh, chesseffect.org chesseffect.org. Perfect. Well, we'll put this in the show notes. And if anybody is looking to reach out, now they know how to get a hold of you. Um, Sandy, it has been a real pleasure. And um, I hope we cross paths uh, in in real life, not just over Zoom at some point. And uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. It's been a pleasure being on the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this edition of Cover Stories with Chess Life. Our podcast will return next month on the first Tuesday when we will again be making a deep dive into the pages of Chess Life magazine. U.S. Chess is a 501c3 nonprofit organization whose educational mission is to empower people, enrich lives, and enhance communities through chess. To become a member, go to uschess.org and click on the Join button where you can find a membership option that is right for you. As a member, you enjoy rated play, print and digital copies of Chess Life or Chess Life Kids, and you help U.S. Chess grow the game. If you're already a member, consider clicking on the donate button at uschess.org. Our podcasts are produced and edited by Jason Andre at Seven Season Films Photography and Media. Please visit sevenseasonfilms.com to find out how to start your own podcast. Thank you and good chess. Chess.